It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another edition of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, the almost the end of the offseason podcast, uh, two weeks from Saturday. Missouri will open at Laramie, Wyoming, 6.30 p.m. on a TV channel that I don't know and you don't get. We'll talk about that much more over the next two weeks. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. And before we get to the rare two-guest podcast, illustrious guests on the podcast today, if you want to find out who they are, you're going to have to keep listening. But what you also should listen to, even though you probably already know, is that this podcast is sponsored by Shakespeare's Events and Catering. Uh, Saturday is the last Saturday without football, unless you count preseason football, which I don't. So a week from Saturday, there will be real football. Every Saturday, you are going to need at least eight Shakespeare's pizzas to watch football games. Call them, order eight pizzas, mention the PowerMizzou.com podcast. You are going to get an extra 5% discount off their already group rate. They will deliver them to your house. They have vehicles and a delivery service. You don't have to leave. You can watch Eight football games, one pizza for each, and uh, at least one of them at Panda's Pepper. Mm-hmm. And everyone, including Mitchell Forty, is happy about it. Yeah, you need at least eight pizzas. What we didn't mention is you can have many more. Up, yeah. You can get your party catered for up to twenty five hundred people. If you know, if 2, you want the biggest people. college football watch party, you might be able to set a Guinness World Record. Honestly, uh, you could actually just order pizza for twenty five hundred people, and then you just have pizza for every Saturday and Sunday throughout the football season. Not a bad idea. So do that. This week's first guest, again, we have two this week. It's a big deal on the podcast. Uh, We might have to go over our allotted 30 minutes, so make your commute a little bit longer. But the first guest is uh, Columbia Chamber of Commerce president, SEC network analyst. Uh, What other titles do you need, Tom Hart? I need them all because uh, titles pay the bills. So keep them coming because cable is expensive these days. But by the end of the podcast, we will at least make up two more titles for you, whether or not they are. Oh, uh, oh, also, uh, also Paul Feinbaum for at least a day, correct? For at least a day, yeah, yeah. At the time we're recording this, I'm in Charlotte, so I'm going to be sitting in the King's Throne for uh, for two days, Thursday and Friday, to close out the week. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what adventures come from that. I'm a yeah. firm believer, guys, in. Always saying yes when bosses call and ask if you're available. Right. And I'm also a firm believer in expanding one's horizons. And this will be as expansive as I get in the broadcasting profession. So Thursday and Friday afternoon on the SCC Network, tune in for Tom Hart's hot takes for four hours a day, two Saturdays. <laughs> two Saturdays from now, there will be – well, actually, one Saturday now, from now, there will be college football games. But uh, – most of them get going in in a couple weeks. And, and Tom, before we get into Mizzou and the SEC, I mean, it, you do the Saturday night games with with Cole Kublik and and I believe Jordan Rogers, and you guys have uh, it, it's an entertaining little dynamic to follow on Twitter. You guys have have got a pretty good crew going the last couple of years. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've um, I've been in this business for a little bit now, and I found that if you enjoy the people that you work with, that'll come across on air. Um, and we're unique, you know. I, I'm, I'm the lowest on the totem pole in this regard, but we're the only crew at ESPN where all three of us played college football. Now, my quote-unquote career consisted of a semester at Quincy University, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I do believe it gives me—I um, don't want to say unique, but it just added curiosity, you know, because I have a base level of intelligence of the game. I like to think 
And those two guys played in the SEC, and, and I learn from them every week. And, um, and I'm, you know, I, I hope that comes across on the air. Tom, you know, this time of year when we're at camp every day, you know, we, we kind of, I think, it can get kind of bogged down in the, the minute details of the Missouri team. So I was just curious to start asking you, you know, as you make your rounds and talk to people from throughout the league, uh, what's kind of the, the, the impression? Are, are people, you know, how are people talking about Missouri? Or do people, are people expecting them to, to potentially be a, an East contender? Or are people ignoring them? Or what, what's kind of the vibe you've been getting? No, it's it's just the opposite um, in terms of ignoring. It's it's fascinating, really. Um, a lot of people out there expect Missouri to have a big season. They're a dark horse candidate uh, in a lot of people's minds from a national perspective. Uh, part part of that obviously is the schedule. They look at the schedule and they go, "Wow, that's a lot of winnable games early." And I think people are. Part of that is because people are down on South Carolina and they're down on Ole Miss and they're down on Bandy and Kentucky. I think all of those programs, by the way, are going to be better than most people expect. I'm not saying they're all going to a bowl game, um, but I think I think Kentucky will be not as good as they were last year, but better than people expect. Ole Miss is going to be better than last year. Bandy is going to be better than most people expect because they've got some great skill position players returning. Uh, but everybody looks at that schedule and they go, wow, undefeated going to the game, Georgia. Now, I, on the other hand, to be perfectly honest with you, as someone who grew up in Columbia and attended the fifth down game and watched okay. Tyus Edney go coast to coast and was there for the flea kicker game, um, I look at that schedule and I go, man, I'm so nervous. Like, where will the trip up happen? Um, because I bet that they're favored in all of those games. But as a Missouri fan, I know a lot of people listening to this can relate. They, they go, oh, there's this trepidation that I think we're just, for those of us around my age that went through those, those tough times as a Missouri fan, um, it's kind of expected that there's going to be a gut punch somewhere along the line. Well, for those of you who are not off sobbing in a corner and considering harming yourself after being <laughs> uplifted by Tom, uh, look, one of the teams in the SEC that I think, and it's weird, like everybody is calling Missouri, like I think this is a surprise team. So if everybody calls you a surprise team, you're not really a surprise. I, the flip, I think, is true of Florida. Like people look at Florida and go, hey, look, Dan Mullen's a great coach. And I know they won 10 games last year, but that just didn't really seem like a 10-win team. I think they're the pick by most people for the second for second place in the East. Does second East to you come down to Missouri and Florida? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, like I said, I think I think Kentucky's going to be better than people imagine. Um, only be, like we know there's no Josh Allen, we know there's no Benny Snell or Mike Edwards, but I, I have great belief in Bob Stoops and what he does developing talent. So while we don't know who that next uh, All Conference level performer will be for Kentucky. I'm confident that there's another one coming on both sides of the ball. Um, Lynn Bowden might will probably be that guy on the offensive side. Um, so Kentucky, I think, is capable of making some noise, but absolutely Florida and Missouri. And i got to be honest, I was shocked Florida had such a great year last year. Uh, I covered the spring game prior to the season. Dan Mullen, John Hevesy, and their staff were so down on that team. They're so down on the offensive line. I didn't think they were going to go to a bowl game listening to those coaches talk. Then I was back for their opener. It was the same thing. I was pleasantly surprised that they were, you know, able to get off to a good start. And then I was back for that Missouri game, uh, which was such a big win for the Tigers. So 
yeah, and head-to-head, you know, Missouri's had that advantage. And it, it circles me around to this, guys. I, I think one of the reasons Missouri hasn't gotten a ton of the respect, it's, it's funny, I think Missouri gets more respect nationally than they do locally. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's seeing the forest through the trees. I don't know what it is. But I don't know that Missouri fans truly value what wins over Florida and Tennessee year after year mean. And the only thing I can compare it to is if, if this were the Big 12 days and Missouri was beating Nebraska and Texas every year, the fans would be truly excited because they would understand the value of those programs and those wins. And Nebraska and Tennessee have moved in lockstep since they mm-hmm. – of each one national championship in the mid to late nineties. I think it's a very similar comparison. Actually, and, uh, real quick, I don't mean to uh, point out when it, it, on the rare occasion you might misspeak, but I've made this mistake too. I'm I'm assuming that Bob Stoops is not taking over for his brother in Lexington, <laughs> and that it's Mark Stoops. Because uh, it, I gosh, I I hope I make a mistake it, like that on Feinbaum. You don't it, think they'll let me hear it? No, it, but it, I will say if it's Bob Stoops, I pick Kentucky to win the East. So <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, big games. He wins big, he wins big games. Tom, actually, I want to follow up kind of uh, on your, your talk about the Missouri fan base and, and you know, the, the trepidation and uh, kind of maybe not, you know, appreciating some of these wins. You know, you, you've been around the SEC and you're, you're going to deal with fans from all over the conference even more when you're on Feinbaum. It, is that truly, do you think, unique to, to Missouri fans in some way? Is that been has that been ingrained into them more so than other fan bases or is you know sometimes i think we say like you know every team loses games they're not supposed to all fan bases over is missouri's actually unique well young 40 let me talk <laughs> to you about it like this um i don't know you use i think you use the phrase appreciation i don't know that the younger generation has a true appreciation and uh, i'll draw this parallel um, I was listening to a college football podcast recently, and I heard of a young journalist who turned down his dad's gift of free bush light on a lake trip because it wasn't good enough for him. Was that who you or your brother? That? that wasn't me, I don't think. It wasn't you? I don't believe so. Oh. Must have been his brother. <laughs> you don't know for sure. Okay. Um, that, that My joke just fell dead on the floor. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, have to, I, yeah, I have to repeat I, that. I don't, look, I don't look down upon bush. Bush beer? No. Uh, oh, I don't think anybody should look down upon any free beer, but that's right. just uh, that's just how I was raised. Um, yeah, I do think it's unique to um, I think it's unique to Missouri. You know, the, so many SEC fan bases uh, love to puff out their chest and beat their chest and brag about national championships that they've won or that they've made up or whatever it might be. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think that you know there was an article. I think Bernie Nicholas wrote it uh, middle of the year last year that talked about. And I, if it wasn't Bernie, I apologize. But talked about Missouri's attendance woes and blamed it on you know a boring program and a boring coach, and certainly the the lack of great starts year after year um, probably plays a, a key role in that. But I just. I just haven't seen the excitement that I hope I would see um, from the Missouri program. Now, now this year, obviously, when they get, if, if they're able to get off to a great start, I think they're going to go into the season with momentum, and I think it's going to build. Um, and i got to be honest, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I got into a conversation with a Missouri grad last night here in Charlotte, and we're talking about what the program could do better from a perception standpoint. And I don't know how – big of a foothold you guys would know better than i do 
how big of a foothold Mizzou and the SEC in particular have in Kansas City. Yeah. You know, because of the competition with Kansas and Kansas State, because of the history of the Big 12 and the Big 8 there and the, the conference basketball tournament, Iowa State fans, Nebraska, yada, yada. I don't know that there's – in fact, I know there's not another major market like that in the SEC where the SEC school doesn't control that market. Even Kentucky in Louisville has a major, major foothold, especially in the basketball side. Um, so maybe that plays a role in it, and I'd love to see – I'd love to see as a Missouri grad and someone who works so closely with the SEC, I'd love to see that foothold grow because Kansas City is such a great sports town and such a huge – college sports town we see that in the television ratings year after year i think it could be big for mizzou and all their programs yeah i mean i i grew up in kc and it's i mean it's the western most town in the northern and western most state of the eastern division of the sec i mean you know <laughs> yeah. it's it, it's it's a tough sell like nobody there is is really connected to the sec um they will be when missouri's good especially in basketball uh, but it's it's a tougher sell because there's more competition. Um, last thing for me on Missouri, and then we do want to talk about the league a little bit with you. Um, it, we haven't mentioned, obviously, the elephant in the room. Missouri doesn't know how many games it's going to be allowed to play this year. What's what's your perspective and in, in the national perspective on the sanctions and the appeal? And I'm not asking you what's going to happen because none of us yeah. know, but just your opinion of what's happened so far. Well, I've been, um, as a fan, and, and I need to separate the two uh, on a regular basis when I talk about Missouri, um, but as a fan, I've been pleasantly surprised how many national media members have carried the torch for Mizzou um, and said how unfair it is that this ban would be in place. Um, I think Barry did his program great favors by speaking out about it. I think um, the support that they got from my buddy John Sunvold and the campus as a whole by going on the offensive was, was strong and wise. And the NCAA is a very easy punching bag. So there's a lot of national support, especially relative to if you want to compare the haves and have nots with what happened with North Carolina, by the way, I think they're totally, totally different and incomparable uh, scenarios within the NCAA, but that's, that's not my editorial on the right. Um, I guess, my counter to that as a media professional and someone who follows collegiate sports for, my, for a living is I would ask, well, what would be a fair punishment? And I think anytime you're in a negotiation, um, you need to meet the other person somewhere. And I don't know the answer to that, but um, I think, I don't think either extreme is right. I, I don't honestly think Missouri should be let off scot-free. Um, they've paid their dues in some respects, but I also don't think a bull ban is fair. So where where does it land in the middle? Um, because what happened there was wrong, no matter who was responsible for it and how it went down uh, and what kind of oversight there was. Um, so I'm anxious to see once everything is decided what happens. But I, I know this, knowing Barry a little bit, is that I don't know that there's a better coach in place to handle it either way. And I think that kind of plays into the national media's perspective that Missouri is being overlooked because if, if the punishment is as harsh as possible and the appeal is denied, then I can foresee a scenario where Barry Odom, who's always had a chip on his shoulder, going back to when he uh, first showed up to play for Larry Smith as a running back out of Oklahoma, Barry Odom's going to rally the troops in a way that's going to be 
respected nationally, and I think it could lead to a very successful season on the field, regardless of postseason opportunities. Yeah, we've already kind of seen, you know, there there have been some 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 positive PR side effects from this whole thing. It's just, you know, the the university's uh, big concern is obviously, you know, not rewarding kids with a, with a bowl game and losing the the money that comes with that. Um, but transitioning, kind of, we we said we were gonna. Uh, do our little scouting report uh, throughout the SEC. You already touched on Florida and Kentucky a bit, so the next program I wanted to ask about is Tennessee, one of everyone's favorite uh, preseason teams that uh, you know always seems to, to be this is the year that uh, this is going to be turned around. So quite simply, uh, is, is this year, is, is Jeremy Pruitt able to, to maybe take a step forward and get this team to a bowl game? Yeah, take a step forward. You know, I think it's a, a, it is a bowl type season for Tennessee because uh, I like Jared Garantano. He's a tough guy. He takes care of the football. They've got good skill position players, uh, but he's going to be dealing with a, a very, very young offensive line. Um, and he's a guy kind of like Felipe Franks in Florida. He's a guy that's taken a lot of hits um, and has been playing behind kind of a patchwork line. It's a shame that Trey Smith, as of now, Trey Smith, who's an uh, NFL caliber offensive tackle has not been cleared to play uh, because he could have been the next great offensive lineman coming out of the SEC. Uh, and that would have been a big boost for Tennessee. My biggest question when Jeremy Pruitt got that job after uh, dealing with him as a coordinator at his previous stops was, is he head coach material? Can he handle everything that comes uh, along with being a head coach in the Tennessee and not, not the game planning, not the motivating, not the coaching on the field, but everything else. Um, and he's impressed me so far. I think that is incredibly important at SEC schools to be a CEO and the responsibilities that fans don't see day to day to land on their shoulders. Uh, I wasn't sure he was ready for that, but um, he's, he so far has passed the smell test and I think he's going to, continue to build it's not a it's not a one-year turnaround though so there'll be some growing pains going forward for them for sure all right tom i want you to fix college football for me here's my problem uh i know what's going to happen this season because i know what's going to happen every season because every season's kind of the same there's about eight teams that that maybe start with a chance to win the national title they're they're at least seven of the same teams every year so give me reason to believe that something of the following isn't going to happen Alabama and Georgia are going to play in Atlanta for the SEC championship. The winner of that game is going to be the two seed behind Clemson, the one seed. And the loser of that game is going to hope either the Big 12 or the Big 10 champion trips up enough that the SEC gets a second team in the playoff. I I mean, that's what it is every year. So if something about that isn't going to happen, what what part of that won't happen? Well, I don't know. I, I cannot predict that. I, and I'm with you. To me, it's turned into the NBA. It's not good for the league uh, or any league when you know who's playing for the national championship before the season begins. So I'll give you a couple of items to root for if you don't want to see that happen. Number one, you want Kellen Mond to have a couple of really big games this season. You want Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M to pull off any one of the upsets they can really mess things up because they have all the teams on their schedule that you just mentioned, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. Um, they nearly beat Clemson at home last year. They have a real opportunity and a very talented team, and he has a squad that has incredible momentum right now. So I think, number one, you pull for, pull for A&M and pull for that A&M team to 
Uh, you know, they, they're not going to win all four of those games, but there's no question they can make some noise. Number two, start rooting for Luke Fickle in Cincinnati because they're a really good team, and they too have a schedule, including Ohio State at home, that could make some noise. And they could have a UCF-type season because they'll get a couple more teams within their conference that will be ranked. Not a ton, but they'll get one or two. So they'll have an opportunity to enter the national discussion early on. And if they can do that, then at least we'll have great interest in the game. Looking forward, if it doesn't happen this year and those two things don't occur, you want USC to fall on its face so hard that Lynn Swan gets fired and they hire Urban Meyer. And that will happen as soon as next yeah. year, and then all bets are off. Tom, I know one, one thing that's cool about, you know, being a color commentator, sorry, play play commentator and getting to travel around and, and go to these different games and spend some time with the programs behind the scenes is, you know, you get some time with the coaches and with the players beforehand. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, as you look ahead to the season, is there one storyline that you think maybe is underrated or that people nationally or within the SEC need to know? And if so, uh, what is it? Oh, man, I think there's a lot of great storylines. Um, you know, I'm just I'm really intrigued by what Mark Stoops can uh, or Bob, whoever's there, <laughs> uh, can accomplish at Kentucky and to see if, you know, he's really building a program um, because I believe he is. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. You know, there are, there's only a handful of coaches in the game right now active that have national championships uh, next to their name. And he's got, as we all know, all the resources in the world in College Station. And they've done a tremendous job recruiting. I think the one program that's kind of under the radar right now, based on people forgetting what they accomplished last year, the talent they have returning, and the opportunities in front of them, is LSU. They've got um, Dave Aranda is a fantastic defensive coordinator. He's always been impressive. He's a highly intelligent guy. Um, They are less predictable in offense now than they've ever been as they get further and further away from the less miles offensive debacles year after year. And um, I think Ed Ogeron is vastly underrated as a coach. Um, he's a, he's a totally different guy than what we saw when he was at Ole Miss on his first trip through this league. Uh, and he slowly but surely is getting the respect that he deserves nationally. And if they, they have another 10 win season, and, you know, they're, they're a candidate to win the West. They're a candidate to um, obviously make noise and upset that Alabama apple cart, even though they haven't beaten them in a while. Uh, then that would be a huge headline. All right, last thing for you, Tom, because I know you got to start taking uh, phone calls and weed out the crazies for the next four hours. Uh, <laughs> do, I know uh, a lot of these early games are set and stuff. Do you know your, how many of the games that, that you're going to be calling do you know and what's kind of your schedule for these first two, three weeks of the season? Yeah, I know through week three, which is fantastic. Uh, my crew and I will double dip week one. So we've got Texas State at Texas A&M the opening Thursday. And then right off the bat, we get a conference game with Georgia going to Bandy on SEC Saturday night. Um, week two, we've got another conference game with Arkansas at Ole Miss. And then week three, Ed Ogeron faces his alma mater, Northwestern State, and that'll be under lights at Death Valley, which is always an adventure. All right, well, we appreciate your time. We honestly kind of hope we don't see you on the road at all this year because that means Missouri's playing 630 at night and we're working till 2 a.m. So we root for the 11 a.m.s. But, you know, good luck in, in those night games. Well, yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I, I am a, a 
I am the guy that's on the 6 a.m. flight every Sunday morning, so I can feel the pain. Also, I appreciate you letting me know that my reputation is being slandered in the podcast world. I'm going to have to take some action about that. I, I would encourage you to do so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. Tom. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. Tom Hart, SEC Network, play-by-play man, obviously knows a lot about Mizzou, uh, but it, it, they do have a really good broadcast. We don't get to watch a ton of them, but Cole Kublik is, is for my money, one of the best color guys uh, in the in the league. Jordan Rogers is is definitely coming up as well. So you heard those games. I mean, Texas State, Texas A&M. We're tuning in <laughs> for that, right? thriller, yeah. <laughs> One of these things is not like the others. I uh, want to remind you again before we do jump back on the uh, guest line here in a minute. Shakespeare's Events and Catering sponsors the podcast. Call them. Eight pizzas or more, you're going to get a 5% discount over the discount they already have. So it is greater than a 5% discount. Uh, we'll let you find out exactly how much greater when you call them up. Mention the podcast. Uh, go pick up a 12-pack of Bush Light from Pat Forty. Drink <laughs> it with your uh, with your Shakespeare's and enjoy college football season. All right, now we are going to uh, turn back the clock for Mizzou football for a little bit. We've had a lot of former players on the podcast. Excited to have this one. Uh, Elvis Fisher, former Mizzou offensive lineman, finished up his – what Elvis nine year career at Missouri in 2012? Oh, man. man, killing me, but yeah, somewhere around there. I believe, <laughs> yeah. I believe it was more like six, but that, that's, yeah. that works too. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who say that no Missouri, the NCAA has never given Missouri any favors, anything like that. Elvis did get a sixth year of eligibility, finished up 2012, which was Missouri's first season in the SEC. And uh, I, I know you were tweeting a little bit last week, Elvis. We always like to to give former players kind of an opportunity to let fans know what they're doing now. And, and so you've got some new business ventures going on. Just kind of kind of tell folks what you've been up to. Yes, sir. So, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the, uh, the podcast. I appreciate Absolutely. you giving me the opportunity to chat with you guys. Um, yeah, I guess what I have going on lately is, uh, you know, as soon as I I had to retire from playing football. You know, I couldn't, I guess I physically couldn't play anymore. I couldn't pass the physicals. Um, I had to find something I wanted to do. And one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, I've always wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a, you know, perennial trainer. That means, you know, the weight room or any sort of uh, sports specific type stuff. So I first started doing, uh, right now I'm still with a company called Orange Theory Fitness which is uh, I've been with them for the past five years, and I'm one of their regional fitness directors here in Austin, Texas, and I've been a head coach. I've worn many hats with them um, at Orange Theory, but one of the things that I've been branching out and trying to start my own business is called uh, Better You Performance. And what Better You Performance is all about is just positive coaching and becoming the best version of yourself. So I kind of focus that more towards – I would say sports performance and young athletes, maybe around middle to high school age, but I've worked with many different age groups or many different fitness levels. I've worked with, you know, non-athletes, just regular moms and dads trying to live a regular life to, to, to the, to the everyday athlete, the high school athlete and things of that nature. Elvis, uh, you, you said you're, you know, you're doing some coaching, not necessarily on field coaching, but with fitness coaching, athletic coaching. Uh, how would you compare and contrast your coaching style to that of Gary Pinkle? <laughs> Oh, well, to be honest, you know, Gary Pinkle was very much about, um, he was a very good organizer of his staff. One thing that I did learn from Gary was, uh, you know, he really delved into what his staff needed and what they needed from him. And he tried to provide that to them. You know, he didn't try to demand things of people. He kind of asked them what, you know, like almost like a support system. So in my role, if I have, you know, people under me or 
the coaching style of, you know, I want to be able to, I want to be able to give people options and choices and I want to make sure that they are, you know, intrinsically motivated to do something versus me just commanding them to do it. You know, you want to have your athletes, you know, feel good about performing at their best and you want to have your athletes want to do good and want to do this. And that's kind of something that builds a culture around that. So that was one thing that he was pretty good at along with his support staff. There's many, many different great names and faces at Mizzou. And I've been blessed to be a part of a lot of uh, great coaches from my high school and in and around Mizzou alongside of Gary Pinkle. So that that's very fortunate that I would, do, would be able to do that. Well, one of those guys you got to know probably a little better than you wanted to. I talked to Rex Sharp a couple of weeks ago for a story. He's kind of stepping aside from the day-to-day stuff. And, and one of the things I asked him, I said, tell me a guy that, that you know, you, you thought if he wouldn't have had to spend as much time with you as he did, that, that you would have been interested to, to see what he could have done. And he said – I would have loved to see Elvis Fisher play at the next level. I mean, obviously you tore the patellar tendon and, and had some had some injuries. I mean, it, do you did you ever spend any time worrying about what might have been, or were you able to get past all that pretty easily? Well, first of all, that's awesome to Rex to say that. I, I've, you know, Rex and Casey are, you know, probably, <laughs> you know, I probably became better friends with them than anyone <laughs> would want to be with a trainer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've spent a lot of lot of hours with those guys, so um, I appreciate everything that those guys have done for me. Um, you know, did I have I had a chance to dwell on if I didn't make it or if I didn't, you know, what would have happened, what could have been? You know, I do have moments of, you know, in the past when I yeah. first was done, I did have moments of saying, "Oh, well, this could have been that, this could have been that." But you know, you, one thing I learned a long time ago and. And uh, it, you don't lose sleep over ghosts, right? So I can't lose sleep over things that I can't control or don't have any a part of or, you know, can't can't help but what have happened, right? So the biggest thing that I could focus on was what am I going to do next? Now, to say that I, you know, I don't know if I would have been as good of a player at my, my final year of college if I never would have had some injuries, right? Because the injuries made me have a different mindset. I really didn't get into the whole mindset game of football and life and sports and all that stuff until I was injured, you know, a couple of times. So I, I don't know. It's kind of give or time, like a catch 22, right? I don't, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what could have been. I'm, I'm thankful for what has, what has happened. And I'm thankful that I was able to, uh, you know, help, help some younger guys as well that are performing and succeeding at such a high level in the NFL now. And I like to see the guys that I played with still playing at the high level. And I like to see what's happening on Mizzou campus now of, man, I I helped build that, right? That's fun to see. And you get to see all the new things that are going on and it's cool to go back and see everybody, but I don't think I dwell on it. I think I have, you know, who hasn't thought about, well, what if, but uh, I don't dwell on that in any form. No, I wouldn't say that. Elvis, uh, I don't know how much you know you you're able to follow and, and really keep up with the the Missouri team right now, but I wanted to ask you an offensive line question. You know, Mizzou has three starters who are, who are now entering their third year as a starter on the offensive line. Just you know, in your experience, how how rare is that, and how helpful is it to have that level of of experience and, and continuity in an offensive line that's already you know achieved quite a bit the past couple of years? Well, I think that you know you, you see the guys that are succeeding now. I believe. I believe who are you talking about? I'm probably talking about, you know, Justin, Mitch and Evan, right. And then there's Connor out there as well. 
Um, probably those guys, correct? Is that who? Well, I was talking about right now. Actually, this year's on, on team. This year's yeah. team um, which, 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 this year's which team. is similar to those those uh, those guys. But yeah, this year they've got uh, Tristan Colon Castillo at center, Trevor Wallace Sims at guard, and Yasir Duran at tackle. We're all entering their third straight year as, as starter. So uh, yeah, but yeah, it is no, it is well, a similar parallel to the the 2013 line. I can I can definitely see a similarity just because you know, and when guys play so much together right they have a couple years under their belt together you start to understand what they're doing and how they're going to say things to you and you kind of get on the same page so it, it does mean a lot to be able to have that continuity with the guys and and you know I don't I don't know if they're all friends but I know that back in the day like you know you would you would do workouts together you'd go eat together you'd go watch film together you do all the stuff together and just kind of build that team chemistry and I, and i can definitely tell that from you know i'm not on the inside anymore but just from what i see on on social media and and seeing the the great posts and a lot, a lot of positive attitudes around the facilities um you can tell that that's kind of the culture that's still there now so that's a good thing what wanted to ask you uh about you know, you were were a very typical Mizzou player. I mean, they, they got you out of Florida. You were a guy that was probably a little under-recruited. The, the recruiting services, you know, didn't say you were a, a four- or a five-star kid. I mean, how much do do people, you know, when you're a senior in high school, how much are kids using that to, to kind of as motivation? Like, hey, these people think I'm a two-star player. I, I'm going to go. And then Missouri's turned a lot of guys like you and, and other guys like that into, you know, all-conference, even NFL players. Yeah, that's that's one thing Mizzou has been <clears throat> definitely noted for is is taking the the two three star guys and turning them into you know these machines that are just coming out with you know all the people that want to work. Now, I, I don't know, um, you know, back when <laughs> back when I was coming out of high school, <laughs> we didn't really have uh, you know the social media presence right. as there is today. Um, I I can only imagine what kids in high school now. You know, I see. I see sometimes these, these college coaches and coaches in general just retweeting or posting about kids talking about, you know, this is my top three. These are my, this is my pick. This is who I'm going to visit. And it's like, I, you know, I never done, I never did that. I never had yeah. like a whole statement about my, my call. I thought, you know, the biggest thing I did in, in high school media wise was my signing day. And I was just in the school library with, with two other guys. <laughs> and we just signed our letter of intent. It wasn't like filmed. It wasn't a, on any sort of media platform, but you know, I think you have to take that stuff with a uh, with a grain of salt, man. I, I know that I know I know a lot of hardworking high school kids that when I was coming out that were real really good players, right? Really good, but they maybe weren't even rated because of their size or or if their school was even big enough, right? So sometimes they just rate those kids off if they go to like a big. You know, in Florida, you had like, you know, four or five, six A high schools, right? And I was in a 2A, right? So there was like the, you know, low, low end of the totem pole there. So sometimes they look at, you know, the, the strength of the schedule, who you guys play, how big your school is. So I, I wouldn't take anything to heart with those things. I think that the, the, the platforms that grade kids only grade a, a certain amount, right? To really get to know if a kid's going to be worth it or not is if, you know, you talk to the, the, the potential recruits' teammates, you talk to the, the family, you talk to the coaches. How, how is the kid's personality? How, do, how does he communicate with people? What's his work ethic like? Does he ever quit on things? Stuff like that. You know, talk to the teachers. You want to be able to that, – that's what I think a lot of recruiters should do or they do do. I just – I don't know the ins and outs of that. But I wouldn't take the whole, you know, rivals and he's a five-star recruit. Don't, don't take that to the bank just yet. Yeah. <laughs> 
Elvis, we, we alluded to it a, a little bit earlier, but, you know, people have always talked about the, the 2013 Missouri team as one of the, the bigger kind of surprises uh, if, you, if you look back in the canon of, of Mizzou football just after uh, coming from a 5-7, and seven, I think it was, season and then ended up winning the SEC East for the first time. As someone who was, was on that team in 2012, uh, did you kind of see signs? that Were you optimistic uh, of, you know, that that could possibly happen. I'm curious if so, what, what maybe inspired that or, or were you totally caught off guard? <laughs> you know, I don't say I'm always caught off guard. You know, you never, you never go into a season, think you're going to have a, a crappy season, right? If you, if you don't go into the season, think you're going to be undefeated. Like why even play, right? <laughs> you know, you got to have the confidence first and foremost to go through the season. Um, and you have to think of yourself in a in high regard. But in, in terms of that, that year, I mean, I, I just think we, there's a lot of, there was a lot of good people on those teams, right? There's a lot of good people, good character guys, a lot of competent guys who knowing what they wanted to do, how they want to do it and when, when to be there, when to do the things. Um, and that's just, that's just a part of a culture thing at Mizzou, right? So when I first got there, it was starting to change, right? Cause like, you know, you had chase and the, and the other guys in there come in and, they kind of changed that whole culture and you guys, everyone's talked about that. Right. And it's just kind of a year in and year out thing of bringing in guys, doing the right thing, saying the right thing and having this, this culture of accountability. And that's kind of what was <laughs> presented a lot at Missouri and to have such a breakout season and, you know, go from 2012 to 2013. What was I surprised by it? No, I think that every year Mizzou could have a year like that. I think that every year we, you know, we're contenders for that just because I know how hard, the, the training is, I know how much time you put into it. I know how much the support staff uh, at Missouri on all aspects, you know, you talked about me being injured. You talk about training room, you know, uh, school, you talk about coaching staff, you talk about all these different functions and all of that is geared to helping each athlete perform at their best. And so it's no surprise to me when you go out there and people will just get on the same page and deliver and everything falls into place and they make it happen. So it's no surprise to me that that happens in it. And I, to be honest, I'd like to see more of it because I'm proud when I see Mizzou yeah. winning. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah, it's Missouri. That's me, right? That's my, that's my school. So it always makes you feel good. I want to finish up with just two or three real quick ones for you. I mean, you were, you played offensive tackle and Man, you face some guys every day in practice going from Alden Smith, uh, you know, Sheldon came later, uh, Coney Ely, Michael Sam, all the – after that, Marcus Golden and Shane Ray. Was there one guy in, in your years at Missouri that, that you, like, had some battles with during practice that, that you knew what he was going to become defensive-wise? Oh, uh, I mean, hands down, if you're talking about one guy who I knew was going to be – Alden Smith, I was one, hands down probably one of the – one of the best, like that was so. That was probably one of the best players I've ever faced. Period. Um, even in like you know, so going against a guy like that, you you, you go to game time thinking, wow, well, nothing, nothing else can happen bad. You know, nothing be worse than this. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know, guys like that, and then just the entire D line at Mizzou. There's so many great DNs and different kind of rushes and different personalities and such. A lot of good guys. Uh, but if you want to talk about straight knowing that, hey, here's somebody, uh, and talking about battle with every day, that, that was definitely an Alden Smith type guy. Um, I don't even know what he's doing today, but uh, I tell you what, back in, in Missouri, it was it was something. Tell you what. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Alden's uh, Alden's had a rough go since uh, since leaving Mizzou. Obviously, uh, a lot of people out there hoping he gets things turned around. Uh, is there a, 
a game or a memory that, that stands out above everything else from your time at Mizzou? Game or a memory? Uh, well, you know, a lot of a lot of good games, a lot of good memories, a lot of a lot of good things to look back on. And say, man, I, I performed well there. The team performed well there. <clears throat> you know, one of the most fondest memories probably are, you know, we played Oklahoma and we beat them at our home. Mm-hmm. For, you know, that was that was a huge televised game. That was everyone's hype about that. We had all cylinders go on that game. That was an awesome game to be a part of, and that's one that you know you see a lot in the highlight reel. The, the biggest thing, you know, the football game is all fun, but a lot of times when I look back on Missouri and I would tell the, you know, young guys and kids that I've been training, like in high school and all that, like what to look forward to or what to, what to think about is don't get caught up so much in wins or losses, get caught up in performing at your best and building the relationships around you. Because the the funnest times, like the most fun I've had at Missouri, Missouri right in Missouri was uh, hanging with the guys. Like some of those, some of those days that we just kind of hung out, and joked around and the inside jokes. And I'm still part of a, a lot of group texts with guys back in the day. And it, it's just, those, those are some really fun times. Uh, a lot of, a lot of good stuff comes from that. So I, I would say that, you know, game wise that game and, you know, you always remember your injuries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do anyway. And then, uh, and then just a lot of, a lot, a lot of good memories with the, with my with fellow teammates that are still friends of mine today. All right. Last thing for you, you said you're in Austin, Texas. So, Yes, you going to try to raise your kids as Mizzou fans, or are they like out getting burnt orange stuff already? Oh, no. During the football season, we uh, I always have football Saturdays. I'm always repping Mizzou gear. Um, <laughs> I, I don't rep burnt orange. I don't rep no burnt orange. Not around here. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, college football is college football. But I, I, always will, I will always wear a Missouri shirt. All right. Every, well, every, every weekend. <laughs> Elvis, we appreciate the time, man. Best of luck with uh, with better you and, and everything you're doing, and uh, hope to see you back in Columbia at some point. Yes, thank you. I'm trying to get up there for a game this this year, so I'll definitely let you know. All right, sounds Thanks, good. Thanks Elvis. a lot, man. Elvis Fisher. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, have a good day. Elvis Fisher, former Mizzou offensive lineman, uh, and the best – Mizzou Twitter stuff that's ever happened was Elvis's teammates like giving a making the forty year old dad jokes about Elvis Fisher when he was here. I believe he came to Missouri uh, with like about as much hair as I currently have. <laughs> uh, but obviously, I mean, look, great interview. One of the one of the more fun guys to cover over the years. Appreciate him taking some time. Appreciate Tom Hart. We have already gone way too long on this podcast. Uh, Mitch is like wadding up pieces of paper and eating them because it's well past lunchtime. So been out of practice all morning, man. It's, it's been a long day already. Yeah, it, it's time for us to go. So uh, we will be back next week. Two weeks from now, we're we're talking football games. So thanks for listening.